Podcast, part of the incomparable network of podcasts. I'm Trishy Matson, And I'm David Schaub. And here's my recap for this week's episode, Season 3, Episode 7, Wake Up. A-plot, Monel's back. He causes lots of pointless conflicts and confusion until he eventually introduces Kara to Emra, his wife from the 31st century. B-plot, Sam is stressing about her powers and goes to visit her adopted mother. She finds a dark crystal from her Kryptonian escape pod and goes on a road trip in the desert. She enters her new fortress of sanctuary, and her mind is wiped, rain is awoken. C-plot. Mirren, John's father, is stuck living like a prisoner at the DEO, but Mirren correctly deduces that John's the true prisoner of his work. John realizes his mistakes, and they move in to a new home. Okay, yeah, they had a lot going on during that episode, but this is one where the A, B, and C-plots did not really intertwine that much. So, starting off talking about the Monel plot, I'll just say I loved Monel as a character last season, partly because he looked at some things a little differently from the rest of the team. Everything from silly jokes like the stuffing that he brought to the Thanksgiving dinner last year to the occasional snarky remark or aside to a situation. Uh, I'm afraid in this episode, things were very serious, except for one jokey reference to Kara's ability to out-eat an all-you-can-eat ribs buffet. Uh, but it looks like there's just going to be a very serious Monel uh, for however long we have him now. Not only is he serious, but I don't understand why. I don't know if the writers understand why. The the biggest problem I have with this entire plotline is that Monel's actions don't really make, or at least I should say, Monel's communication about his actions don't make any sense. They try and make him into this sort of serious, darker version of himself seven years later. But why? He doesn't communicate anything until he has to multiple times. And it just seems very strange. I don't know if they really wanted to present Monel as this changed man, or uh, the writers just really wanted this aspect of the plot to have a bunch of conflict that seemed kind of pointless. Well, we find out that... Uh... He has been gone not for seven months like we've experienced on Earth Prime or whatever we're calling this world, but he has been away for seven years, and he got went through a wormhole into the future somehow and has been hanging out with the woman who became his wife and whoever else is on that ship with him. I'm a little disconcerted by that because they asked him who they were and he said oh they're just like me and the subject got changed very quickly and I want to know in what way those people <laughs> are like him I mean they're probably not Daxamite princes all uh, so I, I really wonder what's going on there although yes he did keep some secrets but he was trying to tell Kara something in the infirmary um, and she said, shush, go get some sleep. So, you know, I I don't think he was entirely at fault there. I have difficulty with that because even then, not only does he have opportunities later to be communicative and fails miserably, but the first thing he does when he wakes up is try and break into a storage room. He doesn't try and talk to anyone. Like there's, there's so many 
opportunities. We have like three or four opportunities for him to communicate something remotely useful, and he fails miserably at it. Even at the end of the episode, we're not really given any good reason as to why. Now, maybe we'll find out that these people from the future, possibly the Legion of Heroes or whatever the term is, that there's some reason that they're here, which they don't want to tell anyone, maybe. But the degree of subterfuge just seemed shocking to me. Sure. Yeah. I had difficulty with it. And some of it made some sense, but some of it made some sense regarding Kara. You're right about that. Um, I mean, it kind of made sense that he would wait, try to wait for a good moment to tell Kara about his wife. Uh, but uh, sure, breaking absolutely. into the uh, back into the ship again made no sense at all to me either. I mean, I mean, I don't see why he couldn't have just asked the DEO for help unless there's some really weird plot going on like um he has to let something terrible happen to the earth of now in order for future earth to happen the way it's supposed to like like the plot in the city of edge on the edge of forever in star trek perhaps that is so but it, <laughs> it just like everyone asked such awesome great very reasonable questions of him when he was waking up and That's none right. of them got answered whatsoever <laughs> even after he broke out of prison was caught getting into a ship. We still don't know how in the world he got into the ship with Wynn, or even how Supergirl got back into the ship. That's true. It was weird from the beginning because, you know, the city people happened to find that ship when they were inspecting the piers or whatever for damage. Um, and Supergirl was apparently planning to just drill right down by spinning really fast or something through the sidewalk down to however oh, far the ship is. <laughs> and then Jean, apparently Jean's uh, shape-shifting ability also lets him go through solid objects and carry passengers with him, um, which I don't think we've ever seen that before, have we? I don't think we've seen it in the show. I believe it has been in other forms of him that he can phase through materials. I'm not entirely sure, but yeah, I believe Martian Manhunter traditionally has had that ability as well. Hmm. But it did seem a very odd addition at this moment. But I did like the idea that someone, at least someone out there, is trying not to destroy public property because <laughs> nobody else cares. I should point out, as far as we know, that elevator in Catco is still broken. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So that being the case that he just kind of merged down there, um, I we don't know how Monel and Wynn got back to the ship or anything that was left unexplained. So we don't know why. He's acting weirdly the way he does, but I don't think there's much more we can say about that. I did like the one line from Carl when she's having a remarkably reasonable friend-to-friend -friend conversation with James. And I really like that conversation. And she says, he's been a little distant. And it's like, really, Kara? <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> Kara's being so hurt in this episode. And I actually had some difficulty caring because I just couldn't accept how mon was acting. And maybe... That was me just not willing to sort of process what the uh, writers were writing. Ah. Right. Well, it was, uh, of course, uh, a problem for me that Wynn and Monel both said that they snuck off to the ship together because there otherwise people would have gotten hurt and that they did this kind of to protect Kara. 
And Kara says, and just which of you thought that you were protecting me, uh, that you were going to make the wise decisions for me? And she, you know, kind of shoves Monel uh, as, you know, she certainly has a right to be peeved at the weakness of that explanation and just the fact that, you know, they would be trying to protect her from something. The line, I think, was, so which of you are trying to decide what my best interests are? Which is right, a wonderful right. question. <laughs> Even in that conversation that Wynne and Monel have, I don't understand why Wynne wouldn't then go and talk to the other people so they could go and then do something about it. It feels like they just needed to lengthen the episode. Yeah. So they needed this back and forth that didn't make sense. Uh, but but it did give us that great line from Kara. Right. But there there was a line with you know Kara that I really didn't like because when when Monel disappoints her she says shame on me for having a human heart and I'm I'm getting really tired of this uh supergirl superiority complex that she apparently has I mean do kryptonians not fall in love do kryptonians never suffer heartache uh do kryptonians never make mistakes we know they do make mistakes because, I mean, has she forgotten the problem with Kryptonian arrogance that ended up in the destruction of their world? <laughs> I think it seems pretty clear that Kryptonians as a whole, stereotypically, don't admit to making mistakes. And I think that's probably <laughs> pretty safe to say as far as this show is concerned. Right. Well, we know from uh, Monel that certainly the Daxamites consider the Kryptonians to be very arrogant and stuffed shirts, although, you know, given what the Daxamites are like, uh, they are viewing it through their own filter. But yeah, probably. <laughs> it seems clear that uh, Kryptonians think a little more hi more highly of themselves and their judgments than maybe they ought to. The interesting part I found about that line was they had Kara saying, well, I'm horrible for having a human heart, where she basically has spent all the previous episodes this season telling people, no, I do not have a human heart. And we know she's lying. But it's right. interesting how obvious, how even accepting she is that she's lying once she has Monel to face about it. <laughs> there were a couple other odd, very silly details that bothered me. This The one was, who does the branded clothing for quasi-secret dark ops organizations? Like the DEO <laughs> has generally been pretty, pretty under the radar, they have all these nice DEO shirts that he's wearing, and I don't know, that, that kind of bothered me. I also didn't even understand the thing he was getting out of the power cell, the, out of the storage room, was this MacGuffin of a power cell or something for the ship. And why in the world would the DEO have a useful part of a ship from the 31st century? That's right. It was... It was this kind of metallic-looking Taurus, and to fit perfectly into a niche on the ship, he didn't have to use an adapter or anything. He just plugged it right in, and, and yeah, that was bothersome. Other bothersome things about time and technology and stuff. Um, so L Corp, 400 years from now, it's nice to know that they're still around, but they develop an antidote for the lead bomb. Maybe they develop an antidote to lead poisoning. I mean, that actually has value. Maybe yeah, okay. Maybe it really did cause lead poisoning, and they fixed lead poisoning. <laughs> All right, that's a nice thought. I was just wondering, does that mean that, you know, after that, or actually, who did they do it for 
if Monel wasn't around, but you're right, if they develop a general lead antidote, that would be a wonderful thing. Or maybe they just <laughs> cured all allergies in general, but but yeah, for for whatever reason, Elcorp does lots of weird things. Okay. <laughs> this is a, a such a doyless problem of, well, we need him to come back. Well, let's say he was cured. Let's throw a line in there that explains why he was cured. It doesn't even matter why. Right. So he goes, he leaves the solar system and goes far away and then goes through a wormhole and somehow goes to the 31st century, but also comes back to our solar system um, and is hanging out on Saturn, apparently. And okay, great. We've colonized Saturn by a thousand years from now, but it just seems odd that he would have come back here. But, you know, there's probably a whole lot of backstory that we haven't heard yet, or future story. As far as we know, so he goes into a worm in a wormhole, ends up in the 31st century, hangs out in all the colonies that Earth has in the solar system at that time. There are lots of storylines of Supergirl going into the future and getting involved with the Brainiac and all of that kind of things. So there's definitely history in the comics for that type of time jump. Mm -hmm. The question would be is, yeah, why did he end up, in theory... 12,000 years ago in the past stuck on that ship and they potentially have been in suspended animation for 12,000 years. So did they just miss or did they end up in 12,000-year-old bedrock for some other reason? It, it's unexplained. We might get an explanation in the next couple episodes. Right. Some kind of space and time explosion that sent them hurtling. <laughs> anyway, let's hope we find out more to explain that next episode, or maybe not next episode with the crossover stuff going on, but soon. I want to know soon. I did quite like Alex's line, which was very much for the audience. Yeah, I can safely say I was not expecting that regarding Monel <laughs> showing up from the future. That was a cute touch. I did like the touch of giving him a beard, so we were wondering for a while is this evil Monel or. Not Monel at all. <laughs> yeah, they do actually ask the question, "Are you actually Monel?" But you, he, she does then take his word for it. What is he going to say that he isn't Monel? <laughs> <laughs> I put on this elaborate disguise, but just because you asked me, I'm going to tell you. Uh, yeah, right. Kara's line getting towards the end of that plot, which is the truth never hurts as much as secrets. While he's apparently come out and told the truth about things, but he still hadn't told the truth about things, and he still then goes and kisses his wife before telling Kara. And it's like, yeah, well, apparently it's she still kissed hurts. him. It would have been pretty harsh for her to have come out of her sleep and come up and tried to kiss him, and he shoves her away and says, "Honey, oh, I haven't told my old girlfriend yet." <laughs> but he is still wearing his old girlfriend's necklace. Whatever works. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think a lot of it comes from this plot, and like bits of it I kind of liked, but it just felt very long for all that was necessary was they go to the ship, Monel's there, and his new wife shows up, and they could have covered the plot in five minutes, and it just mm -hmm. seemed that they built this huge mess around all of this conflict. It just seemed like, I don't know, a bit of a waste of time. I was interested when she asked him the second time why he was still wearing the necklace um that he said first that i wanted to remember everything that you taught me about what kind of person to be and then he says i wanted to remember you so that 
line, that was nicely done, I thought, as a way to show he really is emotionally distant from her now. Yeah, I know. I just have to wonder a little bit what his wife thinks about it. <laughs> or does she know what, what it signifies or where he got it? Well, we know that she knows some things about Kara because uh, she she said something like, I've heard so much about you or something like that. So So hopefully he hasn't been keeping a lot of secrets in his marriage. Well, given his behavior in this episode, I don't know. <laughs> With that, uh, I don't think anything actually else happened in that plot. So I think nope. maybe we should move on to the B plot with Sam becoming Rain. Right. Sam, I, I am not entirely happy with Sam. Uh, I know she had a horrible mother because, uh, or a horrible adoptive mother because, uh, she threw her out for getting pregnant, or, or maybe for getting pregnant and refusing to get rid of the baby. It wasn't quite clear to me. There was a choice there, and it was unclear what the choice was of getting pregnant, or not getting abortion, or having the child, or not giving the child up for adoption. Like There was some question of choice there that was very unclear. But, right. Yeah. So anyway, she's she's definitely a better mother than her adoptive mother was, but uh, I still think it's pretty uncool to tell your kid at a moment's notice that you're dumping her on uh, some babysitter that she already dislikes and going away for an unknown length of time and telling her that everything will be wonderful just because. And as telling her, you're my heart, so do you trust me? When, I mean, I know it's a kid, but she could have trusted her with a little more information than that. I kind of feel like the Kryptonian lore has this thing where they, they find these crystals and they're just drawn to building a fortress somewhere for no particular reason in the middle of nowhere very strongly. And I can kind of cope with that aspect of it just because of how possibly amazingly strong this urge to find a empty spot and build a fortress there is. So I I was sort of okay with it. I thought it was a little weird Sam writing a check for her to get takeout. That seemed odd. <laughs> but I for the most part up until the very end I quite liked this plot. The the ending we'll get to, but uh yeah, other than that I quite liked it and while the mum is definitely a jerk. I quite liked how she was at, how she acted it. And it felt uh -huh. like she she gave this impression again of a very conflicted parent who did something very bad to her child and wait we've seen this already this season this is almost exactly the same thing we saw with maggie's parents just a different True. reason for the under 18 year old being kicked out of their home so i thought it was interesting that they're giving us another parallel for that path i had wonders earlier when finding out that sam is running catco or the CFO of CATCO, or the CEO of CATCO, I'm not quite sure, how she pulled that off being a single parent. And now I'm even more amazed that she pulled it off because she pulled it off without any parental support. Right. So she's amazing. <laughs> yes, so amazing that apparently it's no problem for her to take leave for an extended period of time and go off to find herself. Uh, or, you know, I assume she didn't just quit her job with Lena. She must have called Lena off screen and said, I need to go do something that I'm not going to tell you about. <laughs> the impression we got from the last big episode with them is they've actually been friends for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how they became friends, but but that is an interesting point. That probably gives Sam some slack there. 
Well, we'll have to assume so, I suppose, because I don't think we're going to go back to Sam's old life. It's pretty clear when she goes to the the desert and the fortress of Sanctuary, which is a terrible name, I think. <laughs> I had the one question of who finds the names for these things? Like, <laughs> is there a trademark? You, you have to have your own fortress name? So anyway, the hologram that appears once she builds this thing says, you know, your your offspring was an unfortunate error and you will soon forget her and all your mortal trappings. So, and from the glowing eyes and the weird voice in the, in the subtitled language, I have awoken. I think it's pretty clear that we're not getting Sam back as Sam for a while, if ever. This is the bit that really did annoy me. Because we had all these conversations earlier in the episodes, how we really liked how Sam was this relatively rounded, interesting character. And the question was, how does she become a villain? And to have her become a villain just by having her entire personality wiped, which is as far as we know what's happened. Mm -hmm. And that now she can be a cookie cutter cardboard villain is such a bit of a disappointment there. I know it's going to round out a bit more than that. The disappointment of uh, the offspring is going to probably come back. And I would not be surprised if Ruby was part of how we're going to get Sam back. Mm -hmm. But it just seemed so rough to just basically wipe Sam off entirely. And now we'd basically just have a new villain who could have just shown up. Which was my right. original fear that Rain would just be a villain that just shows up. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was disturbed by it. I was thinking of uh, Battlestar Galactica, the reboot, where um, you had sleeper agent Cylons who would become activated after thinking that they were human. And they were a lot more conflicted <laughs> and interesting um, than, or at least some of them were, um, than Rain is, who apparently, you know, we, at least for the beginning of whatever confrontations are to come, uh, is is just uh, uh, something that they have built, whoever they are, in order to get revenge on the world of men. Whoever they are, I have to say, they're a skull-like version of their house sign, like the Superman S, is pretty <laughs> creepy. Yes. These people do creepy pretty well. I'll give them that. And there's that thing where Sam is clearly horrified by, like, she finds out she's a Kryptonian. She realizes she has powers like Supergirl. And then they basically just throw on this, oh, by the way, you are a supervillain. Here are all these supervillainy things about you. And... I like the fact that then Sam is obviously horrified and conflicted and doesn't know what's going on. And then we yes. just lose Sam. And I, yeah. we'll, we'll see the next episode. It might, I would expect that Sam is going to, Rain, I should say, is going to be pretty cookie cutter initially, and then we'll slowly mm -hmm. round out. But I hope it doesn't take that long. Right. We certainly, with all the work they did to build up Sam as a character, we hope that she's still in there somewhere and will eventually... Perhaps at Supergirl's urging, perhaps through some intervention of her daughter's power, if she has any. Uh, you know, we hope that Sam will emerge again eventually. But yeah, the suddenness of this, we'll just have to hope there's more to it. Yeah, it, it might be better than I fear. That's certainly <laughs> possible. 
I do have to ask the small question, which is, does everyone store spaceships in their sheds and barns in this universe? <laughs> yeah. Come across a spaceship, you throw it in your barn. I, <laughs> you know, and you you just throw a tarpaulin over it. That no one um, ever found this. Sam never know, looked around inside of a barn in her house. There, there was never a property inspector or anything. Oh, and by the way, if this woman found the spaceship by herself, how did she get the spaceship back to her place? Uh, not even if she had a truck, fine. But how did she get the spaceship? onto the truck to take it to the barn. You know, it's just, I I have a real problem understanding. It's possible someone else does know about it in that regard or mm. something like that. It's hard to say. I mean, I asked myself the question of, okay, so she found the child and she adopted it. You can't just find a child and adopt them. Like, there's paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> One would I mean, think. She may have been able to claim that I was off somewhere and I had it in another baby in another country or something like that. But it just seemed for her to be a known adoptee, that is not the normal process for an adoption. Right. So, so Rain is like, let's say she's uh, 30 or so. Um, and she would have been 30 years ago, would have been uh, 1987. Yeah, there, there was a lot more paperwork back then than there was in the Depression in Kansas when Superman got adopted by the Kents, you know, and we know that Kara, well, the government, they figured out how to fudge her paperwork somehow to get her. Yeah, I'll, I'll, buy, I'll buy that one. Right. Uh, I don't have a problem with that one. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's a little it's a little weak to just say I found you and I couldn't leave you. So I I took you. <laughs> <laughs> it was an interesting plot, and I actually really liked a lot of the conversations she had with her mother. I thought they were really interesting. It was just the ending. So we'll see how the, how, how it goes with the world killer. We now know that Ruby, in theory, is a half-Kryptonian world killer, too. So that'll be interesting to see if that plays yeah. out at all. So, you know, Rain isn't—they said they built her, but obviously it must have been some kind of genetic building of her, not a robot. That was my interpretation. Yeah, bioengineered or— genetic selection or something like that. Yep. So, yeah, I agree with you that the uh, adoptive mother was well acted, even if I didn't like what she did. And, of course, I I don't like that she let her daughter leave or kicked her out without telling her this vital information about her past and no said that I just wanted you to be normal. And that withholding information and... Wanting normalcy for someone who probably that is not their destiny just uh, is bad policy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. With that, shall we move on to the last plot, which is the plot that I really did like all of? <laughs> that was a nice lighthearted plot. Um, and it's it's very interesting to think about the adventures in forming a new family in a new apartment that father and son Jones will have now. I really like the fact that when Mirren showed up, we all had the question of, well, where is he going to stay? Is he just going to live in the DEO? And the answer is, yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and in fact, nobody ever gave, even gave him a tour of the DEO because he didn't know where the bathrooms were and uh, tells Wynn that he's been holding it for three plus weeks. Impressive. Yes. Well, Martians are, are stern, tough people. 
anyway, so Wynne tells Jean that he's neglecting his father and needs to at least take him outside for a walk so he knows he's not a prisoner. Good job, Wynne. And <laughs> yes, good job, Wynne. <laughs> and uh, that's that was helpful because it was a thing that Wynne could do that a lot of people. A lot of other people on the show, it wouldn't really have felt right coming from, but it was really a perfect thing for Wynn. So, yes, go Wynn. And so, uh, eventually they're walking around outside, and they make a joke about coffee um, and some language jokes and stuff, and eh, I didn't care so much for that. But what I really liked was... When the father, Mern, uh, tells Jean that uh, he's been checking his device 43 times since they've been out walking around here, and you have no friends, you have no life, I'm not a prisoner of the DEO, you're a prisoner of the DEO. <laughs> his last line there, which is, you have completed your mission? Ouch. That hurts. <laughs> and I think it hurt in the right way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, it obviously did, because it motivated Jean to make some big changes. Um, so, the, the next we see a father and son together, Jean is taking him to a room. The, the father, Mern, says, uh, what are these empty rooms? And Jean says, basically, I thought we should move out and move into this apartment together. And uh, Mern thinks that's a terrific idea. And we do get a new set. Yes, <laughs> that's right. I don't know how much we'll actually see it. I kind of imagine the Mirren and Son TV show <laughs> spinning off from this, which could be quite entertaining. Quite like both actors. I really quite liked all of this, and it felt good that John is caught when John's wrong, mm -hmm. because he's he's generally presented as a relatively wise, relatively well thought out, logical person, but he has obvious failings and it's very nice that his father is there to sort of put him in his place and uh, let him know what actually is going on around him. yes yes very very well done jean says that you always taught me to appreciate the beauty all around me the beauty in life and i've been isolating myself uh here and now it's time to to change that and so he does so yes it was a it was a nice little break from the uh heavy other two plots well that first plot didn't need to be heavy but it just was for some reason <laughs> some reason oh i'll get over it eventually <laughs> this episode was definitively a lot of moving the deck chairs around mm -hmm. and none of it really gave any strong conclusion there was no real conclusion other than monel's back with people from the future and sam who we knew was going to become rain became rain and it really is now an interesting question of how it plays out, but I don't know if we're going to find out because the next episode is the crossover episode. Right. Which will either have no meaning or who knows what meaning to Supergirl. That'll be interesting to see. And then it'll be after that where we actually get back to seeing what the fallout of all of this is going to look like. Right. I read an interview um, from earlier this year with a couple of the creators who said that um, uh, Supergirl, the show, will be a bit more involved in the crossover this year than it was last year when it was basically just a launching point for what happened in the, in the other shows. 
Yeah, that's a low bar. Right. And they said they couldn't really top, you know, an alien invasion. And so they were going for bigger emotional beats in the crossover. Of course, by the time our listeners hear uh, this podcast, they will have already had a time, had a chance to watch the episode. Um, But we can only talk about what we know so far. Okay, well, there was a lot happening in the show, like I said, but I don't think I have a whole lot else to talk about today. No, I think that really does cover it. It set up some things and we'll see how, how it plays out. I mostly liked the episode. Kind of. I like two of the plots. Well, it wasn't a boring episode. <laughs> no, it wasn't a boring episode. It, it really wasn't that. There were a few head-scratching moments, but uh, but it was interesting. And um, we got to see some fun things with some characters. And uh, we'll find out what's happening with the, uh, with the mysteries later on, presumably. It'll be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thanks to the listeners for listening to our uh, discussion. And um, a couple of other people wanted to be on tonight, but there were some technical difficulties. So hopefully they'll be around next time. And thanks to David for pinch hitting at the last minute. And uh, thanks to Seth Heasley, our sound editor, and to The Incomparable, of course. So, if any of our listeners would like to continue the conversation with us after this, um, you can uh, talk. You can post to the Facebook group for the Incomparable, or you can join our discussions on Slack for the paying subscribers. So, thanks, everybody. Thank you.